Hello friends, welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. I really like this topic. We're going to talk about Tonglin practice this evening. Over the last couple weeks, we've been talking about visualization practice. When we talk about visualization practice, we're talking about mental fabrication. And we're also talking about imagination. So we're not just talking about visual images. Visualization practice includes anything we can bring into the imagination, including any imagination at the sense doors. So we can imagine what something smells like or feels like, tastes like. We can imagine an emotion. So visualization practice goes beyond just imagining colors and images, although there's a significant part of all visualization practices that are, of course, focused on that part of consciousness. But uh, visualization practice is really an imagination practice. And one of the most famous practices in the Dharma uh, comes from the Tibetan tradition and its Tonglin practice. And Tonglin practice is really interesting. The, the translation is usually accepting and sending, or another version would be taking and sending. That's the translation of uh, Tonglin <laughs> for practice purposes. And what it actually is, is that it's a type of compassion practice similar to and including, you might say, loving kindness practice that we're familiar with. But on the in-breath, what we end up doing is that we take in and actually imagine the suffering of a person or the world actually coming in. And then we on the exhale, we breathe out and imagine the antidote to that suffering. So in Tonglin practice, we become sort of a vessel of transformation of suffering. So it's a little bit different than Metta, and I'll explain the differences in a bit, but the giving and taking, the accepting and receiving, what we're doing with Tonglin is accepting in the suffering of the world or the suffering that's happening to a particular person that we know or a community or whatever the case may be. And we're fully accepting in the actual feeling of the dukkha and then we're letting out the antidote the transfer we're transforming the suffering as it comes in and letting out the antidote or that freedom from suffering and so it's a really interesting practice and it can be very intense and powerful and it can also be challenging to do in the beginning and i'll give you some tips on how you might do it if you've never done it before but the idea behind it so in Theravada Buddhism, we have our loving-kindness practice, so maybe we should start there. And so let's talk a little bit about the differences between metta and uh, tonglin, and that might give you some perception, perspective on uh, the differences and what the, what the practice is actually like. So like I said earlier, uh, tonglin is like this revered practice in Tibetan Buddhism, but you're going to see it across Buddhist traditions because other contemporary traditions also use uh, tonglin because it's just such a cool practice. But it is technically its own practice in its own school. So you won't see it like in the Satipatthana Sutta or you're not going to see it in the Eightfold Path. You're only going to see it formally in the Tibetan teachings. But it's really compatible with any Buddhist practice or any healing practice, really. 
And so when we start with what we know, which is traditionally the Theravada teaching of loving kindness, which is metta, or goodwill practice, if you want to take it more literally, when we look at loving kindness practice, our primary orientation to loving kindness is actually an attitude. Loving kindness falls under our eightfold path fold of wise intention or wise resolve. And it's, it's about cultivating an attitude of wishing freedom from suffering for ourselves and all beings. And it's considered an attitudinal orientation to the entire path, the entire eightfold path. And loving kindness, when it's practiced regularly, becomes the soil out of which our precepts spring that commitment to non-harming, that commitment to loving and caring for ourselves and showing up in the world in a way that's non-harming and in service uh, to all beings. So loving kindness practice includes direction towards ourselves of being free from suffering. And it also includes, of course, uh, wishing well for other beings. And when we normally practice loving kindness, we, we do it on a spectrum or a gradation. So loving kindness, of course, includes, okay, may I be free from suffering. And then we also include others, which this includes people that are close to us, people we care about and have strong feelings for. It includes wishing well to folks that we might have a neutral relationship with, like a stranger or it's just somebody abstract out in the community or the world. And it also includes at times wishing well for people we don't like or people that our mind has created into an enemy, the other. So people that trigger us, people that get on our nerves and stuff like that. And we know that one of the sufferings that the Buddha talked about was having to be with people we don't like. So I always find that comforting that uh, several thousand years ago, the Buddha thought to mention that <laughs> as a common suffering for human beings. So loving kindness is the antidote to that, right? Loving kindness is this commitment we have to show up in the world with this non-discriminating attitude of goodwill for everybody. So loving kindness has this focus on not necessarily getting in touch with the suffering, but the focus is on the relief of the suffering. The focus is on the aspiration for the freedom. That's where the energy is leaning for loving kindness practice. But when we do it, part of the lesson of the practice is that we begin to notice when we start to do loving kindness, when we say, oh, may all beings be happy, there's a little part of the mind that then makes a list of the beings that don't count, right? There's like this post-it note in the back that's like, well, yeah, not that person though, or not that group of people, or not that country, or that company, or whatever the case may be, or that family relative, I mean, or that former romantic partner. So there's this little voice inside that if we use loving kindness in a way that's skillful, we will start confronting that value judgment that we have, that maybe all beings don't deserve to be free from suffering. And we feel that contraction of the heart. And so loving kindness practice works in that way. That's the focus of the practice. And it can, it can be broader than that, but that's like the primary orientation for loving kindness. Now, Tong Lin practice, as I said, the simplest way to look at the practice, and there's several stages of it, which I'll go into in a bit, but when we look at Tong Lin practice, the description of the practice is that we breathe in on the in-breath, we imagine and we visualize the actual suffering of the world coming in 
And then we transform that suffering and we breathe out the healing kindness on the out breath. And that process is slightly different than loving kindness. And this is the, the main distinction that Tonglin has a purification focus where loving kindness is an attitudinal orientation and an aspiration that all beings be free. Tonglin practice is a practice where we literally visualize, visualize transforming the suffering. And that's a little bit different. As you can see, it's a slightly different edge to the practice. The other thing is, is with loving kindness, we don't invite the suffering in. We just have this sense, okay, people are suffering and we wish them well and wish them to be free from it. But we don't dive deeply into touching the visceral sensation of the dukkha. Where in Tonglin practice, it is a visualization where we really do visualize the darkness. We visualize the pain and we get in touch with the actual emotional content of the dukkha. So that's a really big distinction between Tonglin and, uh, and loving kindness when you look at how we're practicing towards the suffering. Another part that I think is really interesting is that in Tonglin practice, there's this, for lack of a better word, there's this implicit sacrifice that we're making when we practice Tonglin. And I'll describe it like this. So when we practice Tonglin, in the present moment, we are letting go of or sacrificing whatever common peace we have in that moment. And we're actually inviting Dukkha in, right? And the invitation of the Dukkha is the Dukkha of others initially. So we are actually giving up something in that moment, inviting the suffering in and transforming it on the behalf of, of all beings. And what that does, I mean, it's subtle, but what it does is it creates this emphasis on being selfless, right? Less self-centered. So we might be having a really good moment, but when we choose to practice Tonglin, we sort of let go of that and we transform ourselves into a healing vessel, which includes having to take on the negativity of the suffering and touch it in our hearts and touch it in our minds and viscerally in the body. So there's this little bit of an exchange that happens. That's why it's called accepting and sending or taking and giving because we're taking in and giving out. Where with loving kindness, it's mostly outward directly, mostly outward directed. The taking in part, we don't really have that with uh, traditional loving kindness practice. Similar to metta. So when I said that, like, you know, in metta, as we begin to wish well for all beings, we can see the contraction of the heart as it eliminates certain people from the all beings list. Tonglin is very similar. So in Tonglin, oftentimes what the heart does is it sort of says to itself, well, I mean, I have enough suffering of my own. Why do I want to take in more suffering of other beings? Like the, you can feel the heart contracting with this practice in a, in a different way, but it's similar in that it helps us to be more in touch with other see that we're interconnected with all beings, and it helps us to be less, less self-centered. So when we engage in Tonglin practice, we can see that sometimes the heart is like, well, why would I want to give up a perfectly good moment, <laughs> moment to then imagine the suffering of the world? So we see the contraction of selfishness there. We can if we're practicing it skillfully. So in both cases, Tonglin and Metta, 
there is this idea of connecting to other beings, right? It's not about us per se, even though we will give metta to ourselves and offer Tonglin to ourselves. But in both cases, the idea is the other. The idea is to see how our heart is responding to thoughts of caring for others and thoughts of suffering. So that's the, the similarity. So you can see why sometimes people say, well, you know, Tonglin, it's like the loving kindness for Tibetans or something. And it is in a sense, but I think both practices have their own benefits, right? Because they're slightly different. And when I show you how Tonglin is actually done, the third stage of Tonglin is basically loving kindness. So we see how they're kind of interconnected. One other thing I'll say just about the practice, um, which I think can be helpful because, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm always a big fan of telling, telling us like why we're practicing something. <laughs> I'm, I think I need to let that go a little bit because I'm kind of obsessed with like, if we don't know why we're doing this, then we need to get on that. So I'm going to just give a few like pointers on what some of the lessons might be for Tonglin practice, like why we would do it regularly as part of our Vipassana practice. And so the main thing I think is that Again, in Tonglin, we are bringing the suffering in. We are turning our attention actively to the suffering. And what that does inside is it reminds us that, in general, the heart turns away from dukkha. That's why we have the first noble truth of suffering, because our natural inclination is to push it away. And so, in Tonglin, bringing in the suffering is a practice of that first noble truth. It's saying, hey, there is dukkha. And so when you bring that suffering in, you're acknowledging and in that moment directly experiencing the first noble truth. But the feeling of the pushing away and not wanting to do it reminds us that we're vulnerable. And as vulnerable hearts and vulnerable minds, our natural inclination is not just to open up to suffering. Our natural inclination is to distract or to deny and to seek pleasure to compensate for the enormity of the dukkha of the world. Another thing that Tonglin does that we don't see as much in loving kindness practice is that when we invite suffering in, that taste of suffering directly in, we have an opportunity to feel the sense of discomfort. And some of the discomfort is a reminder that when we actually contact suffering like out in the wild, not in the meditation, but that when we walk in the world, and suffering arises, when we see the suffering of another human being, sometimes it's very uncomfortable. We don't know how to act. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to be with the other person. Anyone who's ever done caregiving for a sick partner or family member or any type of friend, when someone is really sick, it's hard to know what to say and how to be. And so what Tonglin does is it gives us a safe space to actively bring suffering in and watch how we experience it. We look for the aversion, we look for the craving, and we watch how the heart can become vulnerable to the experience of suffering. And when we're in the world and we see suffering, suffering reminds us that we're vulnerable, right? Suffering reminds us no one wants to go out in the world and see others in pain because one, it's, the heart quivers at that most of the time, but also at a deeper level, it reminds us that we could also be in that situation. So that vulnerability and fear of contacting suffering or fear that suffering might happen to us actually can come up in Tonglin practice. And that's sort of different than loving kindness because Tonglin's designed to bring that up. 
So it's a little bit different. And these are just some of the things you can learn. It gives us a safe place to actually watch how our hearts respond to contacting suffering directly. Now, practically speaking, as a meditation practice, there's a couple other things I wanted to mention, which is that when we practice Tonglin and we invite suffering in, this, of course, is a way to practice equanimity. This is a cultivation of our enlightenment factor of equanimity. We bring in the uncomfortable sensations and we try to hold the space in our hearts. And that cultivates equanimity. It's also a concentration practice because it's a repetitive practice like loving kindness where we try to keep the dukkha coming in and transforming it and going out and in and out. And that is our samadhi practice as well. And from a Tibetan point of view, and I think this can cross over quite beautifully in Theravada Buddhism, but more from a Tibetan uh, point of view, the Tonglen practice is done from a place of spaciousness. And so as we practice Tonglen, it, the idea is that it's going to get us in touch with the selfing process. It's going to get us in touch with emptiness, spaciousness, and connectivity with all beings. And so slightly different than what loving kindness would do or the intention of loving uh, kindness, but there's a sense of emptiness and impermanence and selflessness that is tended to arise in our Tonglin practice as the boundary between ourself and the suffering and ourself and other begins to dissolve. So it is also, you could say, an emptiness practice as well. And uh, the last thing I'll just say is that Grief and loss is really hard for us as, as humans. And oftentimes when we're grieving, we tend to deny it before we can get into the actual space of, of the grief. And Tonglin practice really prepares us for those moments where grief might come on suddenly because someone gets hurt or we lose a loved one or there's a disruption in our life in some way. And Tonglin practice allows us to actively engage suffering regularly and hold the space and be with the grief. And because we're taking in the suffering and transforming it and allowing it to come out, what it reminds us is that if we take refuge in our practice, suffering becomes freedom. And Tong Lin is a living moment of breathing in and taking in the suffering, transforming it through the Dharma and releasing the freedom from it. And so it's a preparatory practice for those moments in our life where all of a sudden some kind of pain would come up and we can then take refuge in the Dharma and hold the space of our own suffering. So that's why I like Tonglin. It's such a cool, challenging practice. But what I like about it, like I said, is that it adds this really interesting element to loving kindness and it allows you to be a vehicle for transformation. So I'll leave you with a quote and then we'll take a little break and then we'll come into guided practice and I'll talk a little bit about how to do uh, Tonglin. But I wanted to leave you with this quote. If you're interested in Tonglin, I highly recommend just going onto Google or YouTube and you know type in Pema Chodron Tonglin. Uh, Pema Chodron talks a lot about Tonglin practice. Um, if you haven't gotten any of her books, um, I highly recommend them. You'll see online that she usually has things on Tonglin and they're, they're really cool and some guided practices. But I wanted to read you this quote uh, by Pema Chodron. And uh, she says this about the practice. Breathe in for all of us and breathe out for all of us. 
Use what seems like poison as medicine. We can use our personal suffering as the path to compassion for all beings. So that's how she describes it. I wanted to just give you some instructions before we close our eyes and plop. Because it is kind of an interesting little practice. I wanted to give you some direct instructions first so you can kind of think to yourself how it might work for you. One thing to consider whenever you do Tonglin practice, I think, is you want to make sure that you are in a space, heart-wise, emotional space, where you're feeling pretty comfortable and that you're actually feeling pretty stable, you feel confident, you feel a sense of, maybe not a sense of joy in the beginning, but a sense of calm. And the reason I just throw that out there is that when you start to do a meditation practice where you are inviting in dukkha, you never know how that's going to how that's going to land for you. If you're going through something pretty heavy during your week, depending on how experienced you are with Tonglin, it might not be the best practice for you. If you're actively grieving or feeling really depressed, it could be a powerfully transforming practice in those moments. But if you haven't really practiced it a lot, and you really know how your heart and mind respond to the, to the practice, it's certainly helpful to make sure you have a real good grasp of the practice before you start doing it in a time when you're actively grieving or actively depressed, or if there's some real intense stuff going on in life, just make sure you're gentle with it because the practice can be very intensive. So with that as a caveat, the first phase or step of Tonglin practice so this comes, of course, from Tibetan uh, practice. So the first phase is called getting in touch with or grounding yourselves in bodhicitta. And bodhicitta, we do hear this word in Theravada Buddhism, but it's, it's rarely used in the context that we're going to be talking about it right now. Chitta means mind or heart, and bodhi, as we know, means awakened. And so bodhicitta is one of those Dharma words that doesn't really... <laughs> You can't translate it. You, you can't. <laughs> There's no literal translation of this word. It's associated with our inner capacity to love. It's associated with our inner capacity to be awakened. And it's a sense of spaciousness, a sense of groundedness, clarity, well-being. It's essentially the space inside yourself that's solid, secure, loving, and courageous all at the same time. It's your inner potential to be awakened, but it's also that inner potential just to be kind, loving, and accepting as well. And so bodhicitta, this idea that we would begin practice grounding ourselves in bodhicitta, what it really means practically is that when you begin your practice, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to meditate for a bit, and you're going to find that place within yourself that is calm, has a sense of ease. You want to meditate long enough to where maybe the hindrances are a little bit calm so your mind isn't caught in discursive thinking or reflecting. You want to really be in the presence of that inner world that you call the meditation space. And on top of that, you want to really touch down on the heart-mind qualities of the Dharma. And what I mean by that is that when we're practicing Tonglin and we invite suffering to come in, 
we're not just inviting it in willy-nilly, right? It's not like, woohoo, welcome dukkha. Just take a seat wherever you like in my heart. That's not, not what we're doing. When we invite the dukkha in through Tonglin, we are inviting it into a heart-mind that is in touch with the refuge of the Dharma. So we're inviting it into a heart-mind space that has some equanimity that's lit up, that has a little bit of joy, a little compassion, a little bit of balance. So we're inviting it into a heart-mind space that has prepared itself to invite dukkha in, right? So we're inviting dukkha in, but we prepare first by preparing the heart-mind by getting in touch with this refuge of the Dharma, this bodhicitta, this ability to be awakened, to be loving, and to be stable and secure and safe within our heart and mind. So that is the inner world that we begin to create before we invite the dukkha in. Once we do that for a few minutes, then we switch over to a visualization practice. And the visualization practice contains the in-breath and the out-breath. And on the in-breath, what we're doing is we're visualizing the negative dukkha of the world coming in and saturating our heart and mind. We're inviting it in to every pore and we're doing the visualization as it lands for us. So we might simply imagine some kind of darkness or contraction or heaviness or sadness However you see the dukkha and however you can visualize it, it can be an image or a color or it could be anything you want that you imagine it coming in and you're accepting the dukkha in. And then on the exhale, the visualization changes and you're breathing out a sense of lightness, openness, spaciousness. Um, sometimes we say we breathe in the dark and breathe out the brightness. And it's, it's your choice how you visualize that transformation. But the inner visualization is the heaviness of dukkha in the world. And the outward one is that dukkha that has been touched by the kindness and equanimity of your consciousness and is now being transformed and purified. And it's leaving as a sense of joy and a sense of levity and a sense of purity, if you will, right? It's been purified and now it's coming out as kindness and compassion. And so the first part, you ground yourself. The second part, you begin to visualize the dukkha coming in and the dukkha coming out. And that is the first two parts of the practice. And that second part, that visualization with the breath, you want to do a significant amount of that usually. You're gonna, that's the heart of where the practice is going to come in. You're going to generate a strong visualization of yourself as this vessel that is purifying the dukkha. And then the last parts, which can be considered together or separate, is essentially loving a type of loving kindness, where instead of imagining dukkha as a general energy, as a felt energy, you actually bring a specific suffering in that someone or a group of people or something in the world that's very, very specific and you imagine that specific suffering coming in and you imagine what the antidote to that suffering might be and you breathe that on the exhale. You visualize what it is transformed. So <laughs> I was reading an article and there was this one teacher <laughs> that said, if the antidote to the suffering that you're imagining is ice cream, then you visualize ice cream coming out on the exhale. Like 
whatever it is that's going to transform the suffering, that is what you visualize. So the second part of the visualization is a generalized energy of dukkha in and peace out. And then the third part is a specific dukkha that comes in and how you would transform that and the visualization of what it would, what would you be sending to the world? Like you might imagine the dukkha that comes in is the despair of homelessness, of poverty, something specific. And you imagine what that is like. You feel that in your body. And then the antidote to that, what is, what is the wish that would be the visualization on the output from that? So it becomes more specific. And then the reason for that is that as your practice deepens and as you practice for a longer period of time and the mind gets more concentrated, the visualization can become more detailed. So you start general and you get specific. And then the last part of the practice is, again, similar to loving kindness, that you practice Tonglin for all beings, right? You begin to share that energy with the entire world using all suffering. And it really is basically loving kindness at that point. So we start off with bodhicitta, settling into a heart that has taken refuge. We begin our visualization practice, getting in touch with the dukkha, and then we move to specifics, and then we wish well for all beings. So with that being said, one other thing I'll tell you, and then we'll just I'll just guide you through some practice. Um, if at any time when you're practicing Tonglin, it starts to feel that there is a sense of sadness or a sense of um, dukkha that's too strong for your taste at the time, like it's like it's not really feeling that good to you, then you can always immediately switch over to gratitude practice. You can switch over to body sweeping or breath practice. You don't have to do it to the point that it's, the idea is that you're, you're not hurting yourself. <laughs> this is not a self-deprecation practice. This is not an ascetic practice. Um, so just so you know, if it feels like it's not good for you, then switch, fabricate a different experience. And then when it feels like you're grounded again, then maybe you can go back in and invite a little bit more dukkha into the mix. All right, so that's the basic instructions. So I would like to spend like 10 minutes or so kind of going through this. So why don't you get comfortable again and uh, I'll guide us through these couple parts of Tonglin and we'll see how it feels for you. Let's take a few intentional breaths. And on the exhale, let's relax fully into this sitting, breathing body. Let's make direct contact with sitting. Feeling into shape and form. Really noticing the body sensations as they arise and pass away moment to moment. And if there's any tension in the body, let that tension go 
with some intentional breathing. Allowing the body to be at rest and at ease. Grounded in the physical form, this sense of embodied being. We intend to gauge in practice, a practice where we use our heart and mind and the awareness of body to transform suffering. And we begin by grounding ourselves in the positive heart qualities of the Dharma. We do this by reminding ourselves that our hearts have immense capacity for joy, happiness, kindness and freedom. That our hearts have an immense capacity to care for others, to love others and to love ourselves. Our hearts and minds have this incredible capacity for kindness, generosity, forgiveness. So we might take a moment to find that space within yourself, feeling into the body with awareness, that place inside yourself that is courageous, fearless, and loving. And we feel into that space and ground ourselves in this bodhicitta, this potential to awaken, this potential to love. With each breath, we might attune ourselves to a sense of joy and ease, a sense of relaxation and well-being. With each breath, we might imagine a sense of expansion 
a sense of opening and softening of the heart. In this moment, we might take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, grounding ourselves in that potential to be free, reminding ourselves that we have the strength and the courage to awaken within us. grounded in this way. We remind ourselves of our incredible capacity to lean into suffering. Our capacity to know the first noble truth of dukkha. To know that the strength of our heart can hold the space of suffering can lean in and directly touch it, feel it, and know it, and still be safe and free from harm. Grounded firmly in that refuge, that quality of awakened consciousness. We begin to invite in some of the dukkha of the world. With each breath in, we would imagine the suffering, the sorrow, and the dukkha of this world filling our bodies fully. And on the exhale, we imagine transforming that tension, darkness, and contraction into spaciousness, openness, and light. Using whatever visualization calls to your heart, experiment for a moment or two.
often we are invited to imagine the dukkha saturating every pore of the body. Imagining the sorrow and the discontent, the fear and frustration of the world. Coming in on the in-breath, saturating the body, and then being transformed by our benevolent hearts and minds, and being purified at the out-breath. You don't have to worry about the timing of the breath and the visualization. That's just part of the practice. Over time, the in-breath will be gently timed to the imagery or the sensation that you cultivate. You don't have to force the breath. As the in-breath arises, you just imagine the dukkha comes along with the breath as it fills the body and leaves transformed on the out-breath. And you might experiment with how you imagine the dukkha. It can be a shape or a color or just a sense in the body, a felt sense. And again, on the out-breath, you can imagine in various ways how dukkha is transformed as it's released back into the world as spaciousness, openness, compassion.
once there is a certain groundedness and rhythm to this visualization, you can, if you choose, to bring more details to the practice by imagining a specific suffering of the world, a particular dukkha, one that might touch your heart deeply. And you imagine that dukkha coming in with each breath, filling the body, the heart, and mind fully. And how would you transform that dukkha? Offer that to the world on the out-breath. If you do the practice for longer periods of time, you can either pick different dukkhas of the world or different people in your life or in the world who might be suffering. There is room to be creative with this practice in a way that really nourishes you. After imagining some specific dukkhas, we then move again to a generalized, generalized practice similar to loving kindness. Where we imagine the suffering of all beings coming in with the in-breath. and that suffering being relieved on the out-breath. Without judgment and without discrimination, we accept the suffering of all beings, transform that suffering with our own hearts, and relinquish that freedom back to the world.
Hmm. Thank you, my friends. As with loving-kindness practice, you'll find that there are quite a few different versions of Tonglin, as there are various different versions of loving-kindness. And different teachers will have different styles and little additions and subtractions from the practice. But the basic practice is the same. Breathing in the dukkha of the world and transforming it. Well, thank you, my friends, for returning for some more visualization practice. This is a this is a real powerful practice. I would invite you to experiment with it in a way that makes you feel nourished because it's quite it's quite cool. A little different than meta, but it is meta. It's just a nice little twist on twist on the practice. Take care, my friends. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.wednesdaywakeup.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.